So the list says in big, bold, you know, all caps at the top, underlined, Spring Break 23. <laughs> it starts with C, basketball movie, clean garage, Ikea, question mark, exclamation point, paint basement bathroom, question mark. Um, I did, in fact, do that. Paint kitchen ceiling, question mark. Let me remind you that spring break is, is still just one week. Fish, that's good. Bookshelf for living room. Hang picture above bed. Frame meaningful family photos. Carlisle's desk. Luella gets yellow desk. So that was spring break 23. I think I did everything else. Oh, I didn't hang the picture above the bed. And I didn't hang the meaningful family photos. Framing meaningful family photos is not about work. I mean, that's something more kind of significant. And um, of course, that's what I didn't do. Like, <laughs> I did I did paint the basement bathroom, but I did not frame meaningful family photos. Welcome to the Story Enneagram podcast. I'm Jim Gum, and I'm an Enneagram trainer and coach living in Kansas City. Today, we're going to hear from some self-preservation threes as part of this season series on the self-preservation subtypes. The Enneagram self-preservation three is called security. They're accomplished, efficient, and hard workers. They strive to be both a good person and self-sufficient. Vanity is the passion of Enneagram type threes. However, this subtype is a countertype. They don't desire to be outwardly showy, but prefer to let their accomplishments stand on their own merit. Have you ever wanted to get recognized for your achievements, but dislike having to broadcast it? Today, we're going to listen to stories from self-preservation threes to understand their motivations for reaching their goals and their journey of the heart. As you heard TJ share in the opening, Enneagram Threes like to get things done. They often start their day with a checklist and strive to complete as much as possible by focusing on the end goal. The three is called the achiever or performer. They get a lot of satisfaction from their work. Listen to how Kristen describes her experience. I love that I work really hard. I love that I love what I do. I love that I have pride in what I do, so I'm good at what I do because I'm always going to fight to be, honestly, the best in the room. Here's how Roper describes his experience with work. But I, I think being driven and wanting to be successful, using that underlying anxiety to just stay focused and keep working, it makes it somewhat easy. I've never, you know, pre-pandemic, people would ask me a lot, you know, how do you stay uh, focused working from home? And I never quite understood it. Like it was, that's never been a problem. My problem has always been when to stop. And here's how TJ describes his focus during his 20s while working on his degree. The first example that came to mind is I'm a history professor and I spent eight years after college uh, earning that degree, a master's degree for two years and then a PhD in history uh, that took me six years. And it was it was incredibly hard work, sometimes kind of demoralizing and challenging. Really, for me, it's a very, it's a very satisfying. It has a measure of like cachet culturally uh, and socially to be a professor. People at, at you know dinner parties or whatever, when they hear I'm a history professor, the the sense of like, oh, I want to talk to you about that. Like say something smart, you know, like let's talk about I read this book about, you know, D-Day once and like that is my my career has a kind of, I would say, a kind of flashiness to it in that 
it's like you earned the highest degree you can. And you your job is to be very smart in a field and to help college students develop and grow. Self-preservation three is the counter type. They have vanity for not having any vanity. It's the least outwardly showy of the type threes, and they're careful to ensure that they're not coming across as vain. Here's how Roper describes his thoughts. I have that self-talk that I, and I don't know if it's good, bad, or indifferent, but it's intended to just be a check on my ego and my drive to make sure that I'm looking around and paying attention to it. Is this really a goal worth chasing? Um, it makes me competitive for sure. Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. I have, I don't, I, I rarely want to come at it straight on. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't love. Uh, obviously, I don't know that anybody loves it when somebody is uh, um, overly braggy or confident. But most of the time, I judge it as a form of weakness or a, a blind spot. Never is that effective if you're trying to win over the person you're doing it to. So usually, it's you're telling a story about when you're successful in this other thing. And it, it really makes me wonder how successful you are if you have to talk about it that much. Kristen has an important role with a very high-profile company, yet she's careful not to appear to be self-promoting. When I was first getting into the industry, I did think it was really cool because it, I had never been around it. So I would talk about the people that I met or the things that I had done or anything like that. And I had, and someone very close to me one time was like, hey, you need to not brag because it might make other people around you not feel good about themselves. You sound like you're bragging. So like, don't talk about what you do in your job. I love what I do. And it's really cool. And I'm so proud of it. But it makes me feel very vain and self-promoting if I ever talk about it. I really do love the recognition when I've done a lot of the work and that kind of stuff. I think one of my biggest frustrations is when someone tries to gift that to someone else. I don't care if I get the recognition for it, but I will be infuriated by you giving it to someone else. Here's how TJ describes the ways that he subtly tries to hide his title and accomplishments. Once I got my uh, academic job uh, and when when PhD ended up after my name and finishing graduate school, I've always been really weird about people um, calling me Dr. Tomlin. I just think that taps this thing of like, I'm being vain about not demonstrating um, something I worked really hard for um, and that I think a different type or a different type of person or maybe even a different type of three would just revel in putting PhD everywhere. I saw a, a therapist a few years ago uh, who had a PhD, and when she would bill me in the mail, it had her name and then PhD after it. And I remember thinking, like, get over yourself, right? Like, congratulations, like, me too. You know, I got one, but I'm not, you know, lording it over people and advertising it like a license plate that says doc. So there's, there's some, like, quirkiness to that and like on my syllabi the kind of course plan um i usually just put like instructor you know students would ask me about it like are you do you have a phd like are you a like a real doctor and it was like yes uh, but they didn't know um because it wasn't on my syllabus and i didn't i didn't talk about it and so i think at a, at a deep level 
there really is some vanity about that of not wanting to seem like I think that I'm better or smarter or more accomplished than other people. And so there's, as is often the case with the three, I think I'm deceiving. It's that pattern of like seeming like, oh, it's no big deal. Um, or even rolling my eyes, like making jokes about having a PhD or publishing with Oxford, like belittling myself, right? And there's real vanity in that because I actually am proud of it, but it's a show for other people to pretend I'm not. Passions of the heart-centered types, pride for the two, vanity for the three, envy for the four, need others to be fully expressed. These passions are comparative in nature. Pride is saying, I'm better than you. Vanity is saying, I need you to look at me. And envy is saying, you're better than me. When the self-preservation instinct is dominant, the comparison goes inward and just isn't as pronounced. That's why all of the heart-centered self-preservation types are countertypes. Uraniel Pais says that the passion is a mask and the instinct is the mask of the mask. It's hard to see these forces at work. Indeed, for the self-preservation three, as you heard, they're actually anti-vanity. In addition, as far as their self-preservation goes, they also minimize their own needs in service of the work or goal. Listen to how Kristen describes her work ethic. And so my first year, I lived in the office. I was here until at a minimum 9 p.m. every night, usually 10 or 11. Like the security guard would walk me out to my car every night to make sure I was safe. And part of that, it was because I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to be the best at what I'm doing. I'm never going to let anyone know that one, I have no idea. I was here every Saturday. I was here every Sunday. I gave up. Honestly, I gave up everything. Like my family, my friends all knew like, hey, like I have to do this. Like this is, I don't have another option because in my head, I don't have another option. And here's TJ telling about how his spouse acts like the canary in the coal mine regarding his self-preservation needs. She's especially good at meeting me and helping me draw out things I'm sad about, or even like exhaustion fatigue is another one where it's like, I don't get tired. Like, you know, where you just kind of overextend, I overextend myself as a three. And um, my partner is really good at, at at catching me in that and saying like, are you, are you okay? Like, do you really need to go do this next work thing you're going to do? This is again, almost embarrassing, but it's true. Like sickness is very, very relative to me. Like, can I physically get into a car and drive to work? Is like, I'm fine. And again, it's work. Work is the boss of me there. With the tendency toward workaholism, it's like, well, that that's, that's the boss. Like, you're not the boss of it. Here's how Roper describes his family origins that drove some of his desire to succeed and be self-sufficient. One of the things for the self-preservation piece for me is, you know, we, we sort of proudly grew up middle class, but in retrospect, we were sort of striving. We were aspirationally middle class. Um, I have pretty vivid memories of uh, in my childhood of not having enough and sometimes like innocuous things like that wasn't a big deal. Like I had saved up enough money to buy a Nintendo and my mother wanted to surprise me by saying, okay, when we get home, you can give me the money and I'll just buy it now. And I don't remember if why she was unable to buy it at that moment, but I remember how upset she was at not being able to do it. 
um, for either the checking account didn't work or they didn't have money in it. I don't know exactly, but those types of things are deep down in that preservation of, I want to make sure we have enough. The threes are the doer in the heart center and the self-preservation types focus on doing as well. Activity, achievement, accomplishment will often get the top billing. Of all the subtypes, the self-preservation three is most prone to workaholism and subsequent burnout. Listen to how Roper's hard work and competence can backfire as he tries to delegate. But it probably has something to do with how frustrating it would be for me if someone was giving me things that I couldn't handle. I would be overwhelmed and frustrated. So I, I perceive that on them. And, and so it's a, that's a challenge I'm working on. It really has to do with being a better leader and delegating and empowering others to do things rather than just trying to do it all myself. The thing that that also means, or I, I find myself doing is um, giving those directions, setting that up for success, and then trying to pull everything that doesn't match exactly what I've asked them to do off their plate. And that usually means I'm pulling it back onto my plate. The growth journey for the self-preservation three involves slowing down and listening to the heart, getting in touch with their emotions and not putting them aside until later. Enneagram type threes have the capacity to be very emotional yet they can be overwhelming and harder to access. Here's how Roper describes his experience. Uh, and maybe this is where the, uh, the deceptive piece of, of a, a three comes in for me is my aversion to emotion is not that I don't have the emotions. It's more about my inability to control them and keep them at the magnitude that I'm comfortable with showing. So if, if I'm not sure I could control it, I just won't have it. I'll just think about something else and move on and push it down. I don't even think about pushing it down. I think it's just like, put it to the side. I'll deal with that later. Recently, as I was explaining to my wife of 20, almost 23 years now, like, oh, I cry at movies almost every time. And I cry at commercials. And she just was dumbfounded. She said, but you make fun of me when I do that. I'm like, yeah, so that I, (laughs) she don't notice me crying at the commercial. It's a lot easier to deflect and move on. And so there. There's these pieces of me and my interaction with my family that I realize you don't want to be too good at hiding parts of yourself because then they start to, if you're successful, then they don't know you. And here's TJ again. But I remember absolutely knowing I was I was a three, but there's one mistake and it's that I'm in this heart center being kind of honest, honestly, like embarrassed or very confused by that. Like thinking, I, I don't perceive myself as being driven by my emotions. I perceive myself as being a head type. Frankly, for for most of my life, emotion other than joy, happiness, pleasure, sadness, for example, if you just shut those emotions down, um, you're kind of getting in the way of what I want to accomplish here. I lived most of my, um, certainly, you know, childhood and and adolescence and um, college and most of graduate school, honestly, just thinking, not realizing that emotions, um, again, emotions are fine. The good ones are fine. Um, But something like sadness, um, I just didn't know what to do with it. And I didn't, I didn't view it worthwhile or I viewed it again. Like I talked about workaholism, it gets in the way of what you want to get done. Like if you're sad, that's going to get in the way of your work. Sometimes a health crisis or a comment by a loved one can create a wake-up call to the things in life that are ultimately more meaningful. Here's how Kristen describes an experience with her young son. When Jane looked at me one day, he's like, he told me to watch something. He's like, watch me do this or whatever. And it may have been something silly, but he was like, 
you're not watching. You're looking at your phone. And I'm like, oh. There are times that it may be an emergency, but like that wasn't. And it can wait until he goes to sleep because he cares about my my undivided time with him. I don't want him to remember that we were on our phones all the time. I want him to remember that we were active with him. We cared about our time. And they always, they say that 75% of your time with them will be done by age 12. Meeting Quentin and Jaden gave me so much perspective. Brought me, honestly, brought me past the three in me. Made me want to work on it. Because I realized that there could be something bigger or more important than work. The corresponding virtue for type 3 is authenticity, being nothing more or less than who you are. There's no need to perform or prove your worth. Here's a story that TJ told about what an Enneagram teacher shared with him. He actually said two things. Two things that threes need to do to grow. One is imagine becoming comfortable with putting your couch on the front lawn and not working, just sitting on your couch on the front lawn. Like, what would it look like? Almost like show off uh, or make public the fact that you're not working. And I remember that being so challenging that I would, how, how embarrassed that would make me feel to just be sitting there not working. And the other was to go to a park and watch ducks. It's a similar physical posture. Like, go sit somewhere and don't work uh, and be in a public space and just watch what's happening at a park. And I remember thinking, that sounds so hard. People do this all the time. And this is not, you know, it's not weird that somebody would sit on a park bench and watch. But for me, that just felt like such a flagrant, like flagrant laziness or something. Like, you're not, you're not accomplishing anything is how it felt, right? When, in fact, you are accomplishing slowing down. The work of the three is to release the compulsion to achieve and embrace their limitations. It's difficult to let go of an image consciousness and how a three would like to be seen. Here's how Kristen describes her journey. Authentically, as a self-preservation three, I always want to do it all and don't want to ask for help and want to be seen as that I can do it all. But I think it's also saying, hey, it's okay to admit that you need help or that you want help. I see it every day in my in my marriage where I'm like, if, if it's even a hint of like, it's, you know, going out of your way or that you don't want to do it, I'm like, I'll just do it. If, if you make it seem as though I can't, oh, oh, I can. But I think that's where Quinn has told me like, I appreciate your vulnerability. I appreciate you sharing your, um, like, emotions with me. And I'm like, I hate it. The brokenness in me is so painful. I know that I have those feelings and everything. And I know internally who I am authentically me. You just want to shine the silver before you put it out. So there's no need for (laughs) giving it out. So So I would say, like, don't shine the silver. Threes can experience liberation when they realize that no one's expecting them to be anything more than just who they are. You don't need to shine the silver. That's it for this episode of the Story Enneagram podcast. Thanks for listening. If you or someone you know is a three who realizes that their value goes way beyond their work, you've come to the right place. Wouldn't it be great to get off the treadmill of performance? Visit my website at storyenneagram.com. 
I offer Enneagram team building experiences and training for businesses, schools, and nonprofits. I also offer personal coaching packages for individuals or couples. Drop me a line and let's explore what the Enneagram can do for you. Please subscribe to the Story Enneagram podcast. Share it with your friends and family. And if you're really feeling it, leave a rating in Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. Our music is by Daniel Gum. You can hear his music on Spotify or wherever you get your music. And yes, we do have the same last name. Story Enneagram, where learning your type is just the beginning of a whole new story. Story.